And we're going to turn to Matthew chapter 6. Last week, I did a message uh, in relation to the golden rule and uh, that we find in, in Matthew in this same sermon. And as I was looking at that, that concept or that rule, uh, basically loving God and loving others, um, which really changes the way our Christianity is. It's not a law-based fellowship. It's not, well, you show me where it's written down, then I'll do it. But it's a, it's a religion or a, uh, a relationship based on desire, desires. And how that God desires some things and we as people that love him, we want to not just do what is clearly commanded, but we want to fulfill the desires of our God. Now, I also know that you want God to fulfill your desires when your desires are right. And the Bible says that he will give you the desires of your, own, of your heart. Amen. When you make him your delight. And uh, because you'll always desire what he wants you to desire. And so that's important, but I was going through the, the passage and the sermon here, and I was looking at how maybe some of these topics that he covered have a lot to do with that very concept uh, of the golden rule. And uh, I just think a lot of what he says, if, you, if we don't give heed to this, that golden rule means nothing. Uh, we could never fulfill that. We can never live a relationship like that. And as I was going back, it just struck me, this passage, I've read it before, and I want to uh, preach on this in Matthew chapter 6, verse number 24 to verse 34. And uh, just see how the Lord uses this uh, tonight just to build our, our love for Him, uh, to uh, strengthen our faith and bring us to a choice on what's really important in our Christian life. And so verse number 24, it says this of Matthew 6. It says, No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Therefore I say unto you, take no thought for your life, what ye shall eat or what ye shall drink, nor yet for your body what ye shall put on. Is not the life more than meat and the body more than raiment? Behold the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither do they reap, nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are ye not much better than they? Which of you, by taking thought, can add one cubit unto his stature? And why take ye thought for raiment? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They toil not, neither do they spin. And yet I say unto you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Wherefore, if God so clothed the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? Therefore take no thought, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or wherewithal shall we be clothed? For after all these things do the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knoweth that ye have need of these things. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Take therefore no thought for the morrow, for the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. Father, I just ask you, Lord, you would just guide me as I preach this message. I pray you'd use it to stir us, to help us, to understand how great you truly are tonight. I praise in Jesus' name. Amen. So, the first thing I want to talk about here, uh, my outline, it's, I'm not a great outliner. <laughs> Some guys are. They could just put together outlines and say, my goodness, man, how do you do that? But, you know, I, I, I look for simple things. And so the first thing I want to talk about is incompatibility. The incompatibility. Now, look at what it says here in Matthew 6, 24. <clears throat> it says, No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God in mammon. So what we're seeing in this verse is a contrast between two entities. We have God... And we have mammon. Um, we'll look at these two. I want to compare them a little bit. I want to see which one of them deserves our worship. Deserves our attention. Amen. I think that'd be important to do. The word mammon is actually a word that personifies 
wealth and possessions. In fact, it's really referring to what we would look at as, as the God of wealth. So when he's saying either you serve God or mammon, he's personifying your wealth and your, your possessions and so forth and calling it a God. So choose which one you're going to serve. Now, the first thing is God. Who is God? Amen. I think we need to know that. It's, you, know, you go through the scriptures, you can find a lot of things about God. The first thing you need to understand that God is eternal. And this is very simple. I know I'm not going very deep, but every now and then you need one of these messages. Amen. He's eternal. Deuteronomy 33 verse 27 says, The, the eternal God is thy refuge, and underneath are the everlasting arms, and he shall thrust out the enemy from before thee, and shall say, Destroy them. Our God is eternal. That means whatever he does, if he's holding out his arms, if he's protecting you, guess how long he's going to do that? Eternally. Now, that's a pretty good thing about God. And that ought to be a mark on his side. Now, who do you want to serve here? You want to serve God or mammon? Well, I think God's got a pretty good mark on eternal. The second thing is God is immutable. In Malachi 3, verse 6, and that just simply means unchangeable. He doesn't flip back and forth like we do. He doesn't uh, jump here and jump there like Ephesians chapter 4 talks about, that we're tossed to and fro with every wind of doctrine. That's not what God does. God is solid since the beginning. He has never changed. He never will change. And as much as you beg and plead, he will not change for you. Amen? The Bible says in Malachi 6, 3 verse 6, For I am the Lord, I change not. Therefore, ye sons of Jacob are not consumed. That's pretty interesting because he's referring back to the covenant. He's saying, because I do not change, the covenant that I've made to Abraham is going to continue on, and you have nothing to do with that. Aren't you glad he doesn't change? Aren't you glad that when he said, he that hath the Son hath life, and he that hath not the Son of God hath not life? That he didn't change his mind about that? (laughs) Amen. Aren't you glad in Acts 16 where Paul told the jailer, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved, that he didn't change his mind about that later? That message today is just as valid as it was back in the first century with the Apostle Paul and the jailer, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. God does not change, all right? James 1.17, it says, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights. With whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. There's no variables with God. <laughs> we, are, we have a lot of variables. Uh, that's because we're created. There's a lot of things that change us because we are underneath power that, are, that is out of our control. I wish I could always go where I wanted to go and, and do what I wanted to do, but there are things that keep me from doing that. Sometimes in the wintertime, I get in my vehicle, and I want to go somewhere. Also, the storm hits. Guess what? I'm staying home. That's because I'm not great enough to overcome that storm in myself. There's powers that are greater than me. But not for God. You understand that with God, there's nothing greater than Him. There's nothing controlling what He does or does not do. That's why He can, never has to change. <laughs> He never changes because he is always the same. And he can always be the same because there's no power that's manipulating what he can do, where he can do it, when he can do it, or how he does it. Amen? Amen. It's all based on what he wants to do. That's our God. In Numbers 23, verse 19, it says, God is not a man that he should lie, neither the son of man that he should repent. Hath he said, and shall he not do it? Or hath he spoken, and and shall he not make it good? Think about that. When he gives you a promise in the Bible, I mean, it's hard for us sometimes to grasp the fact that when something is said with God, that he will never take that back. And we need to understand that with God, that is true. It's hard sometimes because when you talk to people, you try to win them to Christ, you try to help them to understand who God is, they're filtering everything through the, the, the failure of people around them. Maybe a mother, a father, a sister, a brother, an uncle, an aunt, a grandpa, a grandma, how they've let them down or even hurt them, and you try to tell them about this God that does not change. You try to tell them that when God gives his word, 
but he follows through on it. You see, they don't get it. <laughs> because God's not like you and, my, you and me. He is not like man. He is God. He's immutable. God is also truth. Deuteronomy 32 verse 4. He is the rock. His work is perfect. For all his ways are judgment. A God of truth and without iniquity. Just and right is he. Yeah. Amen. He's right. He's just. He's truth. Not one lie. He's never spoken a lie. Never will. He's against lies, by the way. Oh, well, I just tell little white ones he's against those too. He's against them all. Amen. The Bible says in Titus 1 verse 2, it says, In hope of eternal life which God that cannot lie promised before the world began. Oh, I'll tell you, you wouldn't have hope if you didn't have a God of truth. How could you ever have hope if you didn't have a God of truth? The reason why you can have hope today in a heaven that is secure and waiting for you uh, is the fact that God does not lie and that he's a God of truth. Boy, without that, what hope would you have? We'd all be depressed. We'd all be popping pills, (laughs) you know, because really there's nothing to look forward to. If God's not true, my goodness, (laughs) then we've got no hope. The Bible says, let God be true and every man a liar. That thou mayest be justified in all thy sayings, and thou mightest overcome when thou art judged. Amen. He's always true. If you start believing that God's not true, you start living your life that God's a liar and people are true, you're in big trouble. Because you'll have to justify every word you've said. I'm sure glad that if I stick to what God says, every word is already justified. That I'm already overcome the judgment. If I fall into the words of God, if I trust what he has said, there is no way I can fall into judgment. <laughs> I've overcome already in the truth. In Psalm 31 verse 5, it says, Into thine hand I commit my spirit. Thou hast redeemed me, O Lord God of truth. Now what does that sound familiar? <laughs> Amen. Messianic Psalm. This referring to the day that Jesus Christ went on the cross and, and, and uh, uh, before he before he died he says into thine hand i commit thy my spirit thou hast redeemed me and that's talking about the psalmist oh lord god of truth i'll tell you now we know a few people you've all had people that have passed away you've had family members people that maybe went to the hospital and you could see them slowly fade away and you know that they were saved and so you're somewhat comforted in that yet it was still hard to see and it was hard to go through but i'll tell you some just knowing that god is truth every verse about heaven every verse about salvation is real and you can sit beside that bed and look at that person fading away and you know exactly where they're going (laughs) that's because we got a god of truth i would say that'd be a mark on god's side to serve him don't you i think so I don't think that in any way uh, that would hinder me from serving God. In fact, that would motivate me to serve God, knowing that he always tells me the truth and I can count on it every minute of every day and I can go forward and trust that no matter what faces me, I know his promises are true. Amen. Also, God is omnipotent. 2 Samuel 22, verse 33, God is my strength and power and he maketh my way perfect. Jeremiah 32, 17, Oh, ah, Lord God, behold, thou hast made the heaven and the earth by thy great power and stretched out arm, and there is nothing too hard for thee. Amen. That's talking about omnipotence. That means that there is nothing that God cannot do. Nothing that God cannot do except lie. (laughs) It's against his nature to lie. God is omnipotent. Jeremiah 32, verse 27, Behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is there anything too hard for me? Let me ask you this. Are you going to face things in life where you don't have the power to follow it through, but you can trust God and God will do it for you? Do you think that maybe you need Him as you go through the trials of life? 
maybe you will have a family member that that passes away or maybe they're in the hospital or maybe they're sick or maybe you got a financial problem and everything went backwards on you maybe you got a relational problem in your family whatever maybe aren't you glad that you've got a god that there's nothing too hard for them maybe you've got a a son or a daughter that's that isn't saved and you know they're gonna go to hell if they would die aren't you glad there's nothing too hard for him that is a god that's omnipotent So when we pray to this God and we choose to serve him and we go to our God, we know that he has the ability to do exactly what we asked. Sometimes it's not the way that we want him to do it. Sometimes it's not in the timing that we want him to do it. But all I know is God is omnipotent. He knows the best way. All we have to do is trust. I think that's a mark on the serve God side. Amen. How about God is sovereign? Boy, this is important. We've been studying Daniel on Wednesday nights and talking about how that God has been over top of all these empires since the beginning. He's known it from the beginning. He has moved his hand throughout history. And and even Nebuchadnezzar came to the point in Daniel chapter 4 where he says, guess what? No man can stay the hand of God. No man can stop him. (laughs) Someone who used to look at his kingdom said, is this not all mine? Is this not all just majesty for me? God put him into the field for a while as a beast. He woke up from that. He says, guess what? There's not one person in this planet that will ever live that could stay the hand of our God. There's nobody greater than our God. There's nobody that can manipulate events. Folks, when you start worrying about COVID, you start worrying about governments, you start worrying, don't you worry about it. The Bible says, be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Why do you got that peace? Because he is sovereign. He's a sovereign God. (laughs) Oh, wow, that is a mark on my side for serving God. (laughs) Knowing that my life, hey, you may think, well, it's just a matter of chance and we can control our own fate. You're a fool. You're a fool. God is sovereign over everything. You don't play with our God. You follow our God. Amen. (laughs) He is sovereign over all things. You can't escape the consequence of breaking the word of God. Or should I say you never break the word of God. You break yourself against the word of God. God is sovereign. (laughs) Nebuchadnezzar, that head of gold, (laughs) tried to throw out a warning for the empires to come. Guys, just Remember this, as you sit upon that throne, you think you're something. You think you're going to take on God. He's sending his message all the way through to Armageddon, all the way through to the Antichrist. He's saying, listen up now, man. You may think you're something. You may think you've got a lot of power. But no matter what you do, you're going to stand against that king. You're going to stand against that lamb. You're going to stand against the son of God. You're going to fail. Because there's no man that can stay the hand of God. What a message. That's why he was the head of gold. Because he came to the point where he finally understood, I know who God is. <laughs> and he says, I'll, I'll serve him. <laughs> I'm serving him now. I'm done with this selfish stuff. I'm done with this deception that somehow I'm in control of my life. And that everything I have is for me. It's not for you. It's for him. Everything you have, everything you are, every talent you possess is not for you. It's for him. When we get to that point in your life, that's where blessing comes. That's where the head of gold shows itself in your life. That's the value. That's the quality. That's the thing that God gets impressed with. Amen. Amen. You start living your own life. I'm sorry. You're not the head of gold. You're just clay mixed with iron. And that rock's going to smite you down. Amen. Oh, that we would be smart, that we would be wise before our God. God is omniscient. This means that he knows everything. There's nothing that God does not know. Psalm 139 verse 4. For there is not a word in my tongue, but lo, O Lord, thou knowest it altogether. Amen. Thou hast beset me behind and before, laid thy hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain unto it. Amen. This man, uh, Psalmist David, he came to the conclusion, I may know some things, but there's no way I can come close to my God. 
He knows it before it comes out of my mouth. You know, same thing with Jesus when Nathaniel came to him and he saw Nathaniel come, oh, behold an Israelite in whom there is no guile. How do you know me, Jesus? Oh, I saw you when you were under the fig tree. He thought, man, I, nobody was around when I was under the fig tree. I was just enjoying myself. I was sitting there. I was meditating, whatever it was. Maybe I was talking to God. Maybe I was praying. Here Jesus, miles away, is nowhere near where I am. Yet I go walk to him, and now he tells me, I saw you there. He's all-knowing. Say, oh, no, no, when Jesus came, he left everything of God behind. I'm sorry, that is absolutely not true. (laughs) He emptied himself, but not of who he is. God can't stop being God. He can't. He was always omniscient. Jesus Christ is always omnipotent. He's always omnipresent. (laughs) Even though he was housed in his earthly body, there's nothing that stopped his divine attributes. Amen? He just emptied himself of the glory of it. He emptied himself of him coming in, looking like God and everybody being (laughs) amazed by this being This God that came down to mankind and they would fall down to their face like in Revelation chapter 1. And the the Apostle John, when he saw the vision, the first thing he saw when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face as one dead. Jesus, when I go to to earth the first time, I'm emptying myself of that. In fact, you would have walked by him on the street, you wouldn't even notice him. (laughs) Except for maybe the words that he was saying. Or the works that he was doing. And that's what he said. He says, <laughs> he, he says I, I'm not witnessing of myself here. The works that I do, they testify of who I am. Amen? God is omnipresent. I'm glad in Matthew 28, verse 20, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you. And lo, I am with you all way, even unto the end of the world. Amen. I'm so glad that Jesus is with us today. That helps me as a pastor. I'm not alone up here. I'm always a majority. Because God is with me. He says, I'm, you go forward in my name. You go forward in my purpose. You go forward in my authority. I'll guarantee you I will be there every step of the way. And folks, I'm going to tell you something. Jesus is with me. He is with me. Is he with you? He can be. He's omnipresent. He can be. He can be with you and me at the same time. (laughs) You just got to make sure he's with you. Amen. Well, how do I know he's with me when you do what he's asked you to do? Can two walk together except they be agreed? Amos 3.3. Amen. God is omnipresent. God is love. Zephaniah 3.17, love this verse, it says, The Lord thy God, this is talking about Israel here, after their mess-ups, after they totally blew it, the Lord thy God in the midst of thee is mighty. He will save. He will rejoice over thee with joy. He will rest in his love. He will joy over thee with singing. That God of the Old Testament that would smite down the armies and blood would flow. One day the Bible says God will gather up his children Israel, his people, and he'll sing over them in his love. (laughs) He is a God of love. I hope he sings over you and your behavior and your actions and the things that you love and your spirit and your attitude and uh, your your desire to fulfill his purpose for your life. Does he look down at you and say, I just feel like singing over you? I believe that he looks down like he did at Daniel and he sent that angel to Daniel, you are beloved of the Lord. Think about that. Let's make sure, let's make sure that he's, that he's happy with us. Let's make sure, that's what the Bible says in the book of Jude, he says, keep yourselves in the love of God. Someone once said, do you think God loves the devil? This was a, a college, Bible college student question. 
And I told them no. Well, why not? Because the devil would never enter in. Do you understand that the only way God can love you is if you enter into his love? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. But do you know that love means nothing to you until you enter into belief of his son? See, because if you wouldn't believe on his son, that love is nothing. (laughs) It's nothing to you. You would die and you would go to the lake of fire. You'd be there forever. There is no love of God there. Keep yourselves Christians. <laughs> now, when you got saved, you got saved because of the love of God. He loved you, but God commended his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. See, the only way God can truly love you is if you enter into his love through believing him. If you don't believe him, he can say, I love you, but there's no way he can practically express that to you or you feel the effects of that until you believe on him. You understand that? And as believers, I think there's a responsibility we have. On in the love of God. That's the whole thing about the golden rule. Loving God with all of our hearts, minds, bodies, and souls. And then loving others as ourselves. Amen. The reason why Christians aren't loving people is they're not in the love of God. They're they're outside of it. Folks, if you are in the love of God, you will fulfill the golden rule. You will. No doubt about it. You cannot abide in the love of God without fulfilling the golden rule. And so if you're not fulfilling the golden rule, it's because you're not abiding. And guess what? Not all Christians abide. They don't make God their dwelling place. They don't make God the meditation of their heart. They make this world the meditation. They make their lusts the meditation. That's why this world is so filthy. It tries to keep you so focused. Your little apps and your videos and all these things. God, the devil doesn't want your mind on God for one second. Sometimes you've got to say, well, I've had enough of this stupid, stinking stuff. And just delete those stinking apps. Open up your Bible app and start reading. Get in the love of God. There's a reason why our churches are weak today. We're not in the love of God. Keep yourselves, Jude says, in the love of God. Amen. You were in it when you got saved. You felt it, didn't you? Weren't you there? Did, don't you remember that day where the Lord saved you and you, you could have hugged him? If he would have been in front of you, you would have hugged him for, for a year straight. You loved him so much for what he did for you. But it's something, after a little time, and spending time in this world, all of a sudden that love just kind of wanes a little bit. And we move away from it. Now it's no longer about God and his purpose for our life. It's about what you want. It's what you want. And I'll tell you something, that's no, no life for a Christian. You'll never be fulfilled getting what you want. You're going to get it. I remember this one guy, he told me that he really wanted to get a new truck. It was expensive. It was a Chevy, you know, so that's something. But you understand, he wanted that truck so bad. He says, I, I, I got money for it. I got a loan. I went in there and I bought that truck. It was brand new and I drove it off that, that uh, parking lot. And it didn't take me one second to realize this truck means nothing to me. It's called buyer's remorse. Not just because of the money. It's because I put all of my affection on something that would not deliver. That's the world. That's what it does. It draws you in. You give your affection. It's going gonna, it's gonna to spit you out. All it wants to do is get you to love something other than God. Amen? God is love. I don't know about you, but that's a pretty well a good mark on that side to serve him. He is love. What he's done for me, I'm sorry... I just want to serve him. I don't want to serve this world. I don't want to serve, you know, my own interests. 
Let's just serve God. Amen. Now, the other one we're going to look at is mammon. Wealth or the personification of riches, the comprehensive word for all kinds of possessions, earnings, gains, a designation of material value, the God of materialism. We call it materialism. The first thing about this is, number one, mammon is unfulfilling. It's unfulfilling. Luke 12, verse 15 says, And he said unto them, Take heed and beware of covetousness, for a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things which he possesseth. Say, so, well, I, I, I want to have a good life. I want to have a blessed life. So I'm going to get everything I never had before. Sometimes fathers say, what I'm going to do is I'm going to save up so my kids will have all those things that I couldn't have. All the things. And what you've done is you just saved up for everything that has nothing to do with the life of your children. That's what the Bible says. Take heed and beware of covetousness for a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things which he possesseth. Yeah. It completely does not consist in anything you own. How great of a house you have, how nice of a car you have, how much money you have in the bank account. Folks, I'm surprised sometimes how much energy people will put into things just so they can make money. When it has nothing to do with fulfilling your life. Amen? It's true. Number two, mammon is temporal. Matthew 6, verse 19. Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, where thieves break through and steal. <laughs> you ever heard the pineapple story, Otto Conning? I'll tell you some. Wow. Those guys kept stealing his pineapples. Good missionary trying to win this, these people to Christ. They kept stealing his pineapples. So funny, he's, he's got these people hired working in his house. What they do is they take his silverware and they put it through the cracks of the floor. They got someone underneath the house taking it, putting it in the bag and running off with it. Taking his clothes. He walks outside one day in the village and he sees someone from the village wearing his shirt. They didn't care because now it's mine. Stealing them blind. <laughs> but the biggest thing was the pineapples. He's made this pineapple orchard. I don't know what you call them. Uh, orchard, would it be? And he thought, wow, here we go. You know, I'm going to have some good pineapples to eat. Guess what the village people do? They start stealing his pineapples. And he's getting mad and he's fuming and just, ooh, they're stealing everything I got. Missionary. <laughs> Finally, the Lord smites him. I forget a lot of the story. I do have it. I'm actually going to get the whole set. I'll make it available to you. And um, so he comes down to this realization that because he cares so much about his possessions, he really doesn't love these people anymore. So what he does, he goes to the Lord. And he says, Lord, the reason why I'm so frustrating here is because I own all this stuff. So what I want to do is I want to give you everything I own. Lord, the pineapples are yours. The silverware is yours. So he transferred ownership of everything he owned into the hands of God. <laughs> it didn't take long. Also, he, he had a few pineapples go missing, and also he had someone coming to him and saying, uh, I need to talk to you. He says, well, what? He says, well, your pineapples. They're making us sick. He says, oh, they're not my pineapples. He says, what do you mean? Those are God's pineapples. You stole from God. Well, get them back. <laughs> Take them back, he says. Because <laughs> he understood that God, he, he looked at this differently than Otto Conning did. But, you know, he learned something, that it's a transfer of ownership. See, most of us live our life to gain things. And then when we have it, we don't let it go. Oh, you want to go pick up some missionary? 
Well, how, can you pay the gas? Oh, there's wear and tear on my car. The problem is it's yours. Amen. The reason why most people don't serve God today is because they own everything. If they would take everything they have and put it in the hands of God, they would gladly use it for God. Because it's his. Amen. The reason why you won't pick somebody up for the church is because it's yours. As soon as you give it up, well, it's God's anyways. He'll take care of it. He'll put gas in it. It's his car. <laughs> Amen. You understand? You think it's that real? You think that it's, it's that simple? I think it is. I really think it is. I think we all could take everything we have and just say, Lord, I'm going to give it to you tonight. This God of wealth. I'm tearing down this idol. And I'm going to put it in your hands tonight. I'm not going to serve mammon. <laughs> mammon is temporal. Mammon is unfulfilling. Mammon is not dependable. In Proverbs 11 verse 4, it says, Riches profit not in the day of wrath, but righteousness delivereth from death. You know how many people don't do right because of money? You know how many people don't do right to get money? You know how many people in the pursuit of getting riches, they don't do right? <laughs> Lots. I've had many people say, well, you know, pastor, I can't go to church anymore because I got to make money. <laughs> I'm sorry, but the Bible says, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things shall be added unto you. Amen. Amen. So you got to get right with that principle. you got to get right with God. you got to get right with the God of truth. I mean, it's truth. Do you believe it's truth? That's why you're not serving. You don't believe he's true. Amen. Proverbs eleven twenty eight: He that trusteth in his riches shall fall, but the righteous shall flourish as a branch. So you trust your riches, you're going to fall. It's not going to keep you up. It's not going to make you productive. It's not going to bless your life. Your life doesn't consist of it at all. <laughs> in 1 Timothy 6, 17, it says, Charge them that are rich in this world that they be not high-minded, nor trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God, which giveth us richly all things to enjoy. Amen? Yeah, yeah. There it is. He's saying, trust my God. Trust your God. Don't trust the riches. Sure, God will use money. He'll give you a paycheck if you trust him. And he'll give you that paycheck to use. But you're not trusting the paycheck. You're trusting the God of the paycheck. Amen? That way, if something comes along and there's a principle you have to violate, you know what you're going to do? I ain't going to violate that principle for the dollar. Because this is not about the dollar. This is about my God. This is why Joseph, when he was tempted by Potiphar's wife, he was, he was able to say, guess what? Hey, my master put everything within my power. There's nothing he has withheld from me. He says, except for you. You know what he was saying? I'm content. I'm content to have that which God gave me to have. By the way, <clears throat> folks, think about this. If you're going to be immoral before marriage, you're going to be immoral after marriage. If you live outside the bounds before marriage, marriage doesn't fix your problem. Your problem is discontentment. Your problem is you don't trust God. Your problem is you don't want to serve him. Your problem is you want to serve yourself and you don't want to serve God. And marriage is not a fix for it. Because if that's what you're going to be before, God help you, that's what you're going to be after. If you can't be content in the bounds now, you won't be content in the bounds later. Do you get that? I only say that because from my experience, and I've dealt with this, people think that getting married fixes the immorality problem. Well, we've been immoral, so we're going to get married, then it's all going to be fixed. No, because the problem wasn't the action. It is a problem, but the real problem was the discontentment with God. 
be content with him. <laughs> Your flesh is a wicked thing. It's going to take you out of the will of God. That's why you need to love God with all of your heart. That's why you need to serve God and let nothing keep you from it. There's no amount of money that people can pour into you. There's no temptation that can come to you because you know when you give into that, it isn't just about what you're getting, it's about what you're losing. And that's your fellowship with the God that you love. You see, that's why I say this passage has a lot to do with the golden rule. The reason why we don't love others the way we should is because we love the world. We love riches. We love possessions. And it doesn't take much sometimes to draw us away from God so we can get what we want. Amen? That's real stuff. Mammon is not dependable. Mammon is deceitful and unfruitful. It is. Matthew 13, verse 22, it says this. It says, He also that received seed among the thorns is he that heareth the word, and the care of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and he becometh unfruitful. So if I make a lot of my riches and my pursuit of money, what's going to happen is when I hear the Bible being preached, that love for money is going to choke out all the fruit that God wanted to put in my life through that message that night. Because I'm not going to sacrifice all these things for God. Mammon can bring pain and sorrow, and sometimes even judgment. The Bible says in 1 Timothy 6, verse 9, But they that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare, and into many foolish and hurtful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. I want to tell you something. You make a lot of that money, it's going to pierce you. It's going to bring great sorrow into your life. You start exchanging serving God for serving a life of money a life of goods. <laughs> That's why you need to trust God. That's why you just need to be faithful. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. All these things will be added unto you. Amen. God promised that. Now, if you believe him, he's a God of truth. He's the unchanging God. He's the omnipotent God. He's the all-knowing God. Don't you think if he said that, that he knows what he's talking about? <laughs> then why don't you trust him and just say, Lord, I'm going to serve you, even if it costs me. Even if i got to give up that, that big paycheck. Sometimes my, my kids talk about, oh, I'm going to go do this. I'm going to make lots of money. And I always just shut them right down. <laughs> well, kids do that. They, they think, man, you can make a lot of money. Here comes dad. Oh, talk, 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 guys. <laughs> I said, kids, you put God first. I said, where are you going to go to church if you go do that? Uh... See, that's how deceitful it is. Well, it's not that important. God gave me a brain. Blah, 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 blah. You love yourself too much. Love God. Oh, no, I, I want to grow them up having a hunger in their heart for money. I would much rather have them a hunger in their heart for righteousness. I guarantee you this. They may not make as much money. Maybe they will. I don't know. God will, God will decide that because it's his. But all I know is my kids will be happy. That's what I want. Those of you that have made money your goal at some point in your life, if you've done that, did it make you happy? Did it bring joy into your life? Did it make everything better? <laughs> or were the problems still there? Amen. Was the unfulfilled heart still there? Sure it was. Job Interesting passage here in Job 31. He was a rich man. He had a lot of money. He had a lot of power in the community too. He could wield a lot of it. And, and he used his money, of course. But it says here, For destruction from God was a terror to me, and by reason of his highness I could not endure. 
If I had made gold my hope, or have said to the fine gold, Thou art my confidence. If I rejoice because my wealth was great, and because mine hand hath gotten much, if I beheld the sun when it shined, or the moon walking in brightness, and my heart had been secretly enticed, or my mouth had kissed my hand, this also were an iniquity to be punished by the judge. For I should have denied the God that is above. Amen. Job understood that if I ever made gold my hope, that if I ever said to find gold, thou art my, my confidence. This is what's going to take me through. This is what's going to set up my retirement. This is what's going to help my family. Guess what? You're going to find yourself right at the precipice of your retirement, and God's going to remove something from you to show you that was never supposed to be your confidence. Amen. Amen. But Job understood if I ever did that, if I rejoiced because my wealth was great, Oh, look at how much I have. At the end of that passage, it would be iniquity to be punished by the judge. To be punished by the judge. That's a wise man. And he had everything and he lost everything. And he lost everything and he got it all back plus more. But you know what I bet he never did after he got it all back? He never made gold his hope. He never put his confidence in how much money he had. And he never rejoiced in his wealth. I believe he just rejoiced in how good God is. Every day. Amen. Oh, the incompatibility. How about the impossibility? It's impossible to serve two masters. You're going to have to make a choice tonight. Maybe you already have. That's great. But there's got to, a choice has to be made because this is impossible. Notice what it says. No man can. How many men can? No men. No man can. You know what that tells me? It's impossible. <laughs> no man can serve two masters. Never has been one, never will be one. You think you're going to be one? No, you're not. <laughs> you're not going to be one because no man can. No man can serve two masters. You're going to have to choose which one you want. Now, I talked about the God of heaven, how great he is. That's a pretty good choice. I talked about mammon. Guess what? That's a terrible choice. Makes it pretty easy, doesn't it? But no man can serve two masters. Serve to be in a position of a servant or act accordingly to be the subject and serve in subjection or bondage. To bind yourself to God and saying, Lord, what you want, that's what I will do. Not just by law but by your desire. Whatever you desire, that's what I want to be. Oh, you're going to be one of those Christians that say, oh, he's just one of them uh, fundamental guys. He's just one of those guys that he'll go too far. He's a fanatic. He takes it a step too far. I remember one time in my first ministry, we had a family, and, and uh, this lady's mother, uh, mother-in-law and father-in-law were about as wicked as you could possibly imagine wickedness to be in an in-law. And they started coming to church, and not, not the in-laws, but the, the daughter-in-law, and she got saved. And her daughters got saved. She says, Pastor, uh, I've never seen this before, and it, to me, I think i just got to relearn everything I've ever learned. And I says, now you're talking. That's called mind renewal. Amen? A lot of people, they're too full of themselves to actually be used by God. They're not willing to empty themselves so God can fill them. Amen? And, of course, this got to be a problem for the family because they were wicked. No, friends, they were wicked. They were wicked people. Biblical, wicked people. Oh, it's okay for you to have a Bible. You don't have to obey it. That's what they would say. The husband was mad because his wife wouldn't go drink alcohol with him at socials anymore. So he kicked her out of the house. The day he kicked her out, he put himself up on a dating site trying to find another woman. That's wicked. Yeah, it. It's wicked. And guess what? Mother-in-law or mom and dad of this man, they were okay with it. 
They were okay with it. Their family was destroyed a little while later. The mother died, mother-in-law. Just total, total mess, total mess. You know, they got it all together. Oh, yeah, we got it. They had a nice house. They had everything. Man, you turn yourself against God. You are asking for trouble. And they did. I had a neighbor that did the same thing. I tried to give him the gospel. I don't know how many times there. He, he would call. He called family services on us. We had, had, to, get, had to get a, a, a worker come into our home to look at our children. <laughs> oh, did I go before the Lord. I wept and I prayed. and says, God, I need your help. And God answered so mightily. <laughs> all these people, they got all the power, these wicked people in this world. Yeah. <laughs> Didn't take long. And his wife met someone on Facebook, left him high and dry. He got so messed up that he lost his house. His children were a mess. Oh, yeah, they got it all together, these wicked people. And sometimes you feel that you're, you're just the one always losing because of you're trying to do the right thing. All I know is when this is all said and done, I'm going to be with him. <laughs> I mean, you choose what you want to do. You choose your actions. Choose wisely. The Bible tells you in the book of Ecclesiastes, you just do whatever your heart desires. But know this, young man, that you will come into judgment for everything. Everything. <laughs> you read Ecclesiastes chapter 11. <laughs> know this, young man. Oh, yeah, he says, you go ahead and do whatever your heart tells you to do. But just know this, you will meet your God. All I know is I want to serve him now. <laughs> I choose him today. We know that in Matthew 4, verse 10, Then said Jesus unto him, Get thee hence in the temptation of Jesus Christ. Get thee hence, Satan, for it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. The very words of Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God, speaking out to the devil. Guess what? You only serve God. He also said, you worship him. By the way, you're only going to serve that which you worship. You worship the flesh, you'll serve the flesh. You worship the world, you'll serve the world. You worship God, you'll serve God. Guess what? You're known for that. Everybody in this room knows you for what you are. Everybody. Now, don't get mad at me for pointing it out because everybody knows. Everybody knows me. Now, you can make stuff up. I've had a lot of people do that. They think they got something really up on me. <laughs> it's not true. I worship him. I serve him with my life. I didn't come here to play games. I'm serving my God. What I don't get is why people listen to people that go off. Guess what? You're choosing the wrong side. Choosing the wrong side. Joshua said in Joshua 24, verse 15, If it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, obviously here the children of God, they're, they're wanting to serve God, Right? <laughs> Not everybody, because sometimes when you put something out there that God is requiring or desires, people look at that and say, oh, I'm not going to do that. Preacher, how can you say that? Does it seem evil to you? If it be evil, if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose ye this day whom you will serve. Stop playing both sides. Stop pretending you love him when you love something else. Go be what you want to be. Go do it. <laughs> Choose ye this day whom you will serve. There's a certain attribute of people that serve God. And you'll be known for it. You'll be known for it. Folks, stop pretending. You love God, then show that you serve him. You say you worship God, then serve him with your life. Put everything on the altar. Put your home on the altar. Put your car on the altar. Put your family on the altar. Well, preacher, that's going a little too far. Then stop playing games with God. Yeah. 
You go down that road. Check it out. Maybe you need to go down the road a little bit further to find out how empty you're going to be so you'll finally get to the bottom and repent and turn back and give him everything. We live in a day and age of complacent Christianity. We're just playing games with God. We don't care about God. We just care about what people think about us. Amen. You'd rather go out there and do something wicked and come to church and sit there like somehow you're right with God while you're backslidden. You're worshiping something else. Wow, I say, preacher, you're really preaching now. <laughs> These are the messages we need today, man. We are so close to the Antichrist, we're not going to get away with, with, with uh, you know, ear-tickling preaching. <laughs> Somebody's got to wake us up. Somebody's got to raise us from the dead. Yeah. Amen. Choose you this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your father served that were on the other side of the flood... Or the gods of the Amorites, in whose land ye dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. That's my decision. Me and my wife, we decide that. When I talk to my kids and I deal with them, it's all about serving God. They're going to do things right. I know we're going to fail. I know we're weak. And you can point out all the weaknesses and try to cut us up. It just proves what side you're on. Yeah. I'll tell you, if you're serving God, you're going to help us. You're going to love us. You're going to stand beside us. You're going, to, you're, you're going to encourage us. Just like I'm going to encourage you. You turn the wrong side. You're going to go against the things of God. Because no man can serve two masters. When you put two masters against one another, there's a fight on your hands. Amen? The impossibility. It's impossible to serve two masters. It's impossible to love two masters. You can't love God and mammon at the same time. You got to make your choice. You'll love or hate. The Bible says, and the Lord direct your hearts into the love of God, into the patient waiting of Christ. Another impossibility. It is impossible to hold to two masters. You either hold the one or despise the other. I like this passage here in Acts chapter 11, verse number 22. Barnabas goes to Antioch and he sees the Christians there. He sees what God is doing. It says, Then tidings of these things came unto the ears of the church which is in Jerusalem, and they sent forth Barnabas that he should go as far as Antioch, who when he came had seen the grace of God was glad and exhorted them all that with purpose of heart they would cleave unto the Lord. See, Holding one means cleaving to one. The Bible says when you get married, you leave and cleave. You cleave unto your husband. You cleave to your wife. The Bible tells you to make a choice to serve God and cleave to him. Guess what? If you cleave to God, you're going to start despising the other side. See, this is why some people don't get it when the preacher starts stomping and spitting. Stomp, uh, stomp, despising means to think lightly of. It's to not put value on. See, if I put a lot of value on the things of this world and the riches of this world, I don't really cleave to God. But the Bible says if I cleave to God, that all these things of the world will have little value to me. I'll despise them. The Bible says in Isaiah 33, verse 15, it says, He that walketh righteously and speaketh uprightly, he that despiseth the gain of the oppressions, that shaketh his hands from holding of bribes, that stoppeth his ears from hearing of blood, and shutteth his eyes from seeing evil, he that walketh uprightly and speaketh uprightly despises the gain. Despises the gain. Proverbs 13, verse 13 says, Whoso despiseth the word shall be destroyed. 
but he that feareth the commandment shall be rewarded. Amen. The impossibility. It's impossible for you to serve two masters. It's impossible for you to love two masters. It's impossible for you to hold to two masters. So we got to make our choice. And I told you who God was. I think he's worthy. <laughs> I think I'd be like Joshua saying, as for me and my house, we will serve God. And what that means is I'm going to put my life in line with God. It's not just lip service. That's not loving. Let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. <laughs> Hereby perceive we the love of God that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. That's why I say you cannot fulfill the golden rule until you make this choice. You got to make this choice. You got to let God have ownership of everything you have. You can let God direct you in every, everywhere he, he wants you to go. You gotta let him choose for you what he wants for your life. You gotta give him power over the job that you have, over the job that you're gonna get. Everything you do has to be put in the hands of God. Everything you do will be put and, and, and measured against the principles of Scripture. And you know what? If it violates one of them, you're gonna say, I'm not going there because I serve God. And if I serve God, I love God. And if I love God, I cleave to God. Which means, I hate that. Which means, I despise that. Which means, I don't serve that. Amen? You know how, you know how much liberty you'll get in your life from doing it? Just like Otto Connie. When he finally took those pineapples and he put them into the hands of God, finally he was free. He was free of worry. He was free of wondering, what's going to happen with my life? And that's why he goes on to say in our passage, read it again. See, he, he follows up by explaining some things. Therefore, I say unto you, because of that, he says, I say to you, take no thought for your life. No thought. Now, I'll guarantee you this. We have spent way too many thoughts on our life. <laughs> and we need to start getting back to God. <laughs> you know what? When you choose to serve him and love him and cleave to him, you look at this stuff, you say, I don't even have to waste a thought on it. Because he will always provide what I need. That's what he goes on to say. Take no thought for your life what you shall eat, what you shall drink. <laughs> Folks, if you stop going to church because you got to make money, you're taking thought. Do you understand that? We need to start getting back to the Bible here. I understand the shifts have changed. I, we've given ground to the world that is just beyond what I think the Lord would ever have wanted us to do. We've allowed Pharaoh to dictate our schedules. But I wonder what would happen if a true Christian, someone that truly loved God and served God, would say, I'm not going to let the Pharaoh dictate anymore what I do for God. See, because he wants to. The devil wants you to. He wants to dictate what you do for God. That's why many times Moses came to Pharaoh, oh, you know, leave your children behind. Oh, you know, leave your cattle behind. Compromise, compromise, compromise. It's only when you get to the point, you know what? God needs everything I have. He needs all of my time. He needs all of my, my possessions. He needs everything I own. It belongs to him. It's no longer up to you to tell me how to use my time or anything else. I serve him. Amen? I know. Guess what I just looked like up here? Like an alien from outer space. I do. Because Christians even look, <laughs> no, is that invalid today? Matthew chapter 6? I mean, isn't there a context problem here, a historical application we need to consider? No. <laughs> truth is truth. 
Truth is truth. Behold the fowls of the air. They sow not, neither do they reap. They, you know what also they don't do? Argue with God. They don't gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. Aren't you better than they? Don't you think you're better than the sparrows, fowls of the air? You think that God could clothe a flower in the field that he wouldn't take care of you? Don't ever sacrifice God or anything about God to put clothes on your back. I wish I could tell you about George Mueller, who prayed in millions of dollars. <laughs> what was that in the 1800s? Millions of dollars in the 1800s. He had no money. He'd, he would sit down with his kids in that orphanage. They had no food on the table, and there, it was dinner time. He would go to his kids and say, let's pray. And they would pray together, and there'd be a knock at the door. Well, we had these extra food here from the bakery, and, we had, and then all of a sudden someone came, oh, we had this extra milk from the, the dairy, and all they did was sat there and prayed. You think we could do that? Do you think... You think that we got a God that can do that? You think he can do the impossible? Not according to a lot of believers today. Oh, no, no. That's not the way God works anymore. Oh, if he's not working that way anymore, it's only because we are not living that way anymore. We are sacrificing the things of God. We're serving mammon. He has become our new God. Yet we come to church with our suits on. Oh, I serve God. You serve mammon. Test yourself. <laughs> the next time you had a choice between serving God and serving something else, make the right choice. We understand, preacher, if I do that, I could lose my job. <laughs> Think of those little kids, not one morsel of food on the table, <laughs> bowing their heads and saying, God, could you please give us some food today? That, my friend, is a Christian. I don't know if we know what that means anymore. This is what that passage says. We're pretending that we love others. We're pretending that we love God. Yet as soon as there's something that costs us something, we hightail it. Because we don't trust him. We don't trust that he can take care of it in the midst of all of what we're going through, what we could lose. That he would make it up to us. We, we somehow think we, that God would be in debt to us if we serve him. No, sir. I guarantee you, you test God, at the end of that test, you will still be owing him. You'll still be owing him. 